see truth that goes beyond the claustrophobia of our own man-made, man-made, idolatrous, adulterous meaning of our lives. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's no clock in this room. Okay. Michael's nice. He's a very, he's a real nice preacher, nice, concise, 30-minute kind of guy. If you come to our church, you will be told by anybody in my congregation that is not the case in our church. Okay, let's let's go to Hosea chapter one. Okay. Um, I need to get some water here. Now Hosea is a prophet. In the latter portion of what they call the 8th century, if you, if you go to a seminary, that's, that's how they talk. They go, 8th century. <laughs> what they mean by that is 700s B.C., before Christ. And to give you a quick overview of Israel history, you know, you guys all know about, there's Abraham. Abraham had a bunch of children, right? Those children ultimately ended up living in Egypt. Then they ended up becoming slaves. God pulls them out of Egypt, you know, you've watched the movie, Prince of uh, Egypt, or if you've seen the older version, Charlton Eston, you know, you've seen the movie. And then they wandered, they wandered in the desert, they finally conquered, they finally went into the promised land with uh, Joshua. Then they had a whole series of judges, you know, they, all these, they, keep, they had these cycles, good, bad, good, bad, good, bad, good, bad. Finally, they got kings. They had the king that we talked about last night, Saul. Um, a very interesting detail about Saul, he was the tallest guy, right? We, people like tall. I was thinking about that last night when I was looking at Michael. I was like, he's taller than me. <laughs> right? um, <laughs> um, Saul, and then they had David, and then they had Solomon, and then it all went bad. <laughs> then the nation they had civil war, they split up. So then ten of the tribes went, called the, they called them Israel, and two of the tribes went, they called them Judah, and they both had two separate kings. And as history went along, when you suddenly get to 700s, things are looking really good. Up here in the northern kingdom, Israel, and, this, uh, and he is, he's a preacher more for the northern kingdom, although he, he does preach to both. Right? In Israel, the ten tribes of Israel, they go through a period of, they keep flipping through all these kings. Lots of political instability, but... Great prosperities in the 700s, or at least going, actually, it's in the 700s, and, uh, and I know these scholars are weird, but it counts down. You could go from like 750 to 749 to 748 because it's BC, right? And, but in the 700s, as it counts down, there's great prosperity, and everything, everybody, thinks, everybody thinks things are peachy keen until 722. When a great empire called Assyria decides to come in and just snuff them out. And it was bad. It's really bad for, I mean, just, it, was, it was horrible for them. And this is the period that Hosea preaches in. And right at the beginning of the book, God tells him to do something which is just crazy. It is crazy. And so, and it is important that he does this because. It isn't just the words that come out of his mouth that's going to be important for what God wants to tell his people. It's his very life. It's all of his life. 
And it's quite terrible, actually. And let's get into it now. So let's go to Hosea chapter 1, and we'll go with we'll, you know, first verses, all the historical stuff. But let's go to verse 2. You there? This is the Word of God. When the Lord... Remember, you see those capital L-O-R-D, that's the name, when Yahweh first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take to yourself a wife of whoredom. That's um, pleasant, isn't it? Take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking So he went and took Gomer, that's named his wife, the daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now let me just stop there. She conceived and bore him a son. It's an important detail. That means that's his kid. And the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel. For in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day, I will break the bowl of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Now, we'll get into all this. There was a bloody war uh, a while back. And the Lord picked a guy named Jehu to get rid of an even worse king, (laughs) Ahab. And literally, he, he, he slaughtered all kinds of people. But then he went a little crazy and slaughtered people he wasn't supposed to slaughter. And God was displeased for him and decided things are not going to end well with this. And that's what he's talking about here. Scholars like to point out that he's supposed to name his first son Jezreel and because Jezreel sounds like Israel. But that's his son. Verse 6. Here's Gomer. So she conceived again and bore a daughter. Right? Now notice it didn't say that she bore him a daughter. Hmm. It says that she bore a daughter. All right? And the Lord said to him, call her name. The Hebrew is Lo Ruhama. Right? Which means, I mean, it's a terrible name. No mercy. That's your name. Hey, what's your name? John, what's your name? No mercy. No mercy, that's my name. What? That's what my dad, who's not really my dad... <laughs> My dad, who's not really my dad, named me. Call her name No Mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. Isn't that horrible? But I'll have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by by the Lord their God. Judah lasted longer. So there was mercy. 722, Assyrians crush Israel. Judah gets mercy for about 140 more years. So in 586, they get crushed by Babylon, and it was even worse. I mean, like women, women are like eating their children. It was horrible, horrible. Okay. So they got mercy, but for a little while. But here is the story. All right. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses, or by horsemen. He's talking about Judah. Verse 8. When Gomer had weaned, no mercy, so the kid just got a little bigger, she conceived and bore a son. Whose daddy is this? 
Don't know. <laughs> it's not Hosea. Did not bear Hosea a son, bear him a son. Just bore him a son. And Yahweh said, Call his name, not my people. And all throughout the Old Testament, God would call his call forth and call them Ami, which is my people. This is horrible here, is to say, not my people. Imagine if I had a couple of kids. One wasn't my kid. Now I'd say, Hudson, you're my kid. Laura, you're my kid. And then there's another one. I'd go, you, here's your name. You ain't my kid. <laughs> Nazi song's kid. Right? That's the name. That is the name. Not my people. It's horrible. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. Let's go to chapter 2. I'm going to read this, uh, and I'll stop and make some comments about it. And This is what Hosea is told to say to the people from God. Now, just, I want you to just think a little bit about this. And I'm going to just tell you a little bit. This is what God is saying to his people. But what is God? God is saying, this is what the description is. But understand who Hosea is. Hosea is a man who's married to a cheating wife. Adulteress. Who is like a whore. That's the way she's described. I mean, and he, was, and he knew she was going to be like this when he married her. I mean, that crazy? And his whole life is tremendously painful. He has three children. Two of them aren't his. Two of them are named terrible, horrible names. Actually, all three of them are named bad names. But the two that aren't his are awful names. And you can only imagine that they probably don't love him very well. It's like, you gave me this name, Dad. (laughs) And so the meaning of everything he says here It's not just that he says something that God told him to say. I mean, he feels this thing. He feels every pain, every shame, humiliation, horror, hatred, bitterness, anger, resentment, all of it. It's all in there. I just want you to see this, all right? Chapter 2, it's very painful. Most of it's very painful. But this is what God says, right? Let's go verse 1. Say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy. It's just like the opposite of what his best name is kid. Verse 2, plead with your mother. It's interesting. It's all these family imagery. Plead. Now, who's he talking about? For she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. Who's the mother? That's Israel. The people, the nation, is his mother. She is not my wife, and I am not her husband. She, that she put away her whoring from her face, and her adultery from between her breasts. The Bible's a graphic book. This is, a, it's good that the kids kind of laugh. This is like PG-13, all right? It's a PG-13 There's a lot of PG-13 rated R stuff in the Bible. So if anyone ever tells you the Bible's boring, they're ignorant. Okay, 
Really, they're truly ignorant. Verse 3. This is God talking now. Put away or whoring or adultery, lest, that's an old word, unless, I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born. And make her like a wilderness. And make her like a parched land and kill her with thirst. Upon her children also I will have no mercy, because they are children of whoredom, for their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore I will hedge up her way with thorns and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it is better for me then than now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Baal is the name of the other local gods, of the Canaanite gods. Therefore I will take back my grain in its time, my wine in its season, and I will take away my word, my wool, and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. And I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and all her appointed feasts. And I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, these are my wages. This is what I deserve. This is what I've earned. Which my lovers have given me, and I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall devour them, and I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals, when she burned offerings to them, and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry, and went after her lovers, and forgot me, declares Yahweh. Now let me stop. Here's this picture. There's a husband. He has a wife. She has all these other lovers. It's, I, the way I have this picture is this guy, he's at home, he works really hard, comes home from work, and she's never around. Where is she? She's out partying. She's out there having parties, enjoying herself. And it's just wild is she has all these things. She has all these things that her husband has given her. And yet, this is what she says. I'll go after my lovers who gave me my bread and my water and my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. All the good things that she has, she thinks she got from them. So that's why she likes to go party with them. And all the new moons and the Sabbaths, these are all the festivals that the Israelites would practice. This is when they would have their feasts and their worship ceremonies and all their great holidays. And they would live in prosperity and comfort. To this God is fuming. He's in tremendous anger 
and pain. Can you see it? There's pain. And he, he's got these words. Uncover her, lead this. I mean, it is. It sounds, it's, it's almost, it's hard to read, isn't it? And it's very hard to read to think that this is what God is saying. But God is saying this. What I want to say to us today is, God is saying this to Israelites in 750. I think he says this today. Or at least he thinks today. It's not, we're not unlike them. You know, um, I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, all this, have you, any of you been watching the stock market this last uh, couple weeks? You know why it's going really bad? Because our country is so badly in debt that the whole world thinks the dollar is not worth trusting and the U.S. Treasury is not worth trusting. So even though we live in a very comfortable and prosperous place and we think it's always going to be this way, which it won't, by the way, (laughs) our country is really in decay. It's not just uh, talk. I mean, people have known for years, we can say, oh, we're in moral decay, but now the moral decay is so bad that we can't even take care of our money anymore. It's really bad. Uh, it's not a, where it's a very similar time as back then. And today, we do the exact same thing. We, with our lips, Jesus, I believe in God, I believe in the Bible, church, Jesus, all that good stuff. But then, the whole course of the way we tend to live our lives is we want wool or flax or oil or silver or gold. Something in our lives. This thing, if I have this thing, I will be prosperous. If I have this thing, my life will be good. And then, where do we go? We turn to something else. This will give me this. This will give me this. It's just that we don't call it wool or flax in or, or, or silver or gold. We call it a better college or a secure future or a certain kind of husband or a certain kind of wife or perfect kids. Success. I, I said this to the Korean-speaking congregation well, once. I, I actually said this in a sermon. I said, one of my favorite authors likes to go, success, the bitch goddess of America. Ooh, right? And, and about two-thirds of the congregation laughed. And some people were like, huh? Right? The bitch goddess of America for whorish people. When I look at this passage, God, it says this, but they don't know. I gave her. Who gives these things? I gave her these things. I gave her the wool and the flax. I covered her nakedness. I'm the one that makes us feel. I'm the one, God is the one who gives us all these gifts and makes us feel like we're somebody. And yet we're out there looking. And I have this picture. Here's this husband. This lady goes out there, she parts with this guy, she sleeps with this guy, has kids with this guy. Then she comes home. This guy takes care of the kid that she has with him. Then goes to the next one, and the next one. There's a whole series of other lovers, and God is like the one standing at the end of the line. Does that seem familiar? You know, I, every now and then when I talk to people, they're like, oh, I'm not really particularly a Christian, but I know there's, uh, there's just a guy I actually just recently met. 
he has not been going to church very well, even though he professes Christianity, and I think he, you know, he accepted the Lord somewhere in his teenage years. And he says, I tend to, I know this isn't right, but I basically call out to God when things go bad. <laughs> so when things aren't very good, then I'll go to church and I pray, and you know, I kind of get into the Bible. But admittedly, when things aren't better, I, I, I kind of, you know, not too good about that kind of stuff. And you know what all that really means? He says it with like, you know, I know I'm not very good at this, but the Bible would say all that really means is you'd like, when things are good, you like to go party with your lovers. And when things fall apart with your lovers, then you go home to your husband who's at the back of the line. Isn't that the way we are? I'm like that. I wish I wasn't like that. I have been like that. I'm becoming less like that. The Lord is gospeling me better. I'm becoming less like that. But I've definitely been like that. Um, let me finish reading the rest of the, the chapter, and then um, let me get into the next port of my, portion of my um, message. Verse 14, this is the good part. So God says all this horrible stuff. He describes his wife, his whorish wife. But then, therefore, behold, I will allure her. Not I will harangue her. I will cuss her out. I will allure her. And bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. It's interesting. You know, he, he, there's all this good stuff, and we don't hear it. Sometimes we need to go into a bad portion of our life before we can finally hear God. C.S. Lewis likes to say, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts to us in our pain. It's like death. But here we go. I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor. Achor means trouble, the valley of trouble, a door of hope. Isn't this interesting? God takes us to a wilderness to speak tenderly. And then he takes a valley of trouble, and that will be a door to hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. You know what that means? There was a time when Israel came out of slavery, and at that time, they called upon God, and they knew God was God. You are Yahweh, you are our Lord. Was there a time in your life when you knew you were wretched? When you knew you needed grace? And you turned to Jesus, and you said, you're my Lord. God will bring you back to that time. That's what he's saying. I'll bring you back. Verse 16. And in that day, declares Yahweh, you will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my Baal. Isn't that sick? She's out there partying with, you know, whatever. Let's say her husband's name is John, and she's out there partying with Richard. And she comes home. Oh, honey, Richard, Richard, you were so wonderful yesterday. 
when you mowed the lawn. Oh, Richard, thanks for bringing home the, the paycheck. That's how God feels. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the beasts of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and the war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth, betroth, which means to be married to, I will betroth you to me forever. And I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and mercy. And I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. You shall know Yahweh. And in that day I will answer, declares Yahweh. I will answer the heavens and they shall answer the earth and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine and the oil and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow for her myself in the land and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. You know, I was thinking um, different ways we could um, we could illustrate this. I have um, two, two two illustrations to just kind of get feel this. Any of you here seen the movie um, Fifty First Dates? Raise your hand. Come on, let's have some participation. Who has seen the Adam Sandler Drew Barrymore Fifty First Dates? Good, 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 good. All right. Sometimes I'm never sure. Sometimes I feel like I'm a little bit of a fogey. <laughs> And then when I talk to like these 15 or 16 or 22 year olds and, and, and you know, like Ronald Reagan is like a historical figure to them, <laughs> I go, <"Arr." laughs> I remember years ago when there was a, a guy who had just graduated from our youth group and he was watching, like, I think he was watching Raiders of the Lost Ark with a bunch of folks from the English ministry and he goes, yeah, this movie's old, but it's still good. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> and I'm looking at this kid going, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark is only one of the greatest movies of all time, dumb kid. <laughs> all right? Um, so I'm never quite sure. Fifty First Dates, I, I, I'm a little bit of a movie critic. Um, Fifty First Dates is better than THC. THC is my, my little mnemonic, typical Hollywood crap. Fifty right? <laughs> First Dates is, in, in my opinion... If not the best Adam Sandler movie, one of the best Adam Sandler movies. One of the top two or three or whatever, right? And um, some of you may, you know, whatever, some people have mixed reviews. I'll tell you why I like it. Now, for those two or three of you really square people who never watched this movie, and that's pretty bad because I'm a really square guy, and I've seen this movie, and I like it, right? Let's, uh, let me just recap the plot slightly. There's a guy named Henry. That's played by Adam Sandler. Okay, and this is in Hawaii. He he works at um, he works at like 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 a marine world class. What's the name of the place? Uh, Discovery Kingdom. Yeah, any of you guys gone up there? At uh, Vallejo Sea World kind of place. Actually, I found out from the Wikipedia notes that they actually filmed sequences from Discovery Kingdom in Vallejo. Hmm. Okay. All right. So this guy is, that's what he does. He's one of these marine veterinarian things, and he takes care of whales and walruses and so forth, right? He apparently is good with the ladies. He meets 
a nice, cute woman played by Drew Barrymore. Her name is Lucy. Meets her at this cafe. They hit it off. They have this really great day together. The very next day, he sees her again, and she kind of she flips out on him. And he's like, what the heck? She doesn't remember him at all. And then, you know, the, 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 the owner of the cafe, who's a family friend, pulls him aside and tells him the story. Lucy, a year ago, was in this terrible car accident. Like, she swerved off, didn't hit some cow or something like this, and now her brain is damaged. And she cannot remember anything So she can live her whole day. She thinks the day that she's living is like this one particular day, which was her dad's birthday. At the end of the day, of course, she gathers all the memories of the day, but her short-term memory is shot. I mean, mean, her long-term memory from before this day is intact, but her short-term memory no longer works to keep producing new memories. So this whole day can be wonderful. After it's over, she doesn't remember anything from before. So this guy goes... I mean, you know, this guy, Henry, he's he's good with the ladies. So he's like, I I, I could win her. And so he keeps at this. Every single day, he has to woo her again. And woo her again. And woo her again. And one day, he hopes that with all this wooing, she'll, uh, you know... (laughs) She'll remember him. She'll be like, oh, I remember you, Henry. And, you know, happily ever after, right? Now, I suffer from a little malady that I call um, narrative curiosity. And I am one of these guys that I watch a movie, and about 20 minutes later, I'm like, oh, it's THC. It sucks, right? And I know this movie's going to stink. But I will still watch the next hour and 10 minutes, Because I just got to (laughs) know. I just got to know what the heck happens. I mean, it has to be tremendously bad for me to stop the DVD or the DVR or whatever, and I don't find out. Okay, so, but this movie was good. I was like, I was watching this, and for the whole, you know, 30, I mean, there's actually very good chemistry between Drew Barrymore and Adam Sandler. And so when you see it, you're like, wow, you you want them, like, you want them to, like, end up together, right? Um, and so you're like, ah, oh, but like, so that's kind of entertaining. There's some gross out humor, and I, I admit I like some, I like gross out humor, all right? And this movie trickles along, and all the time thinking, it's gonna suck. I just know it. She's just gonna wake up one day, and it's gonna be like, Duh! and she's gonna remember him happily ever after, and then I'm gonna wanna throw something at the TV and burn that DVD, right? But what happens, it's cool, because he, she doesn't remember, and she comes to realize that she is really essentially destroying and hanging up his life. So she's been writing these notes in a diary to try to remember him, and she decides to destroy everything. She realizes that she's holding back her dad and her brother, who throws these little birthday parties for all the time. And then she... And then she goes off and checks herself into essentially this, you know, high-level, super, like, uh, you know, um, medical ward where they take care of people with these weird ailments. And so Henry is crushed. He's all blown away. And he's going to go off on this great Arctic expedition 
and where he's going to study walruses. He's going to learn about the life cycle of the walrus. I mean, uh, uh, who does this stuff? Some people actually do this kind of stuff, but, but he does, right? And then while he's on there, he's all bitter, he's all unhappy, because he's lost the love of his life. I mean, he's wooed this woman so many times. And he's won her every time. Isn't that crazy? And he's convinced her more and more and more. Like, you know, he he kisses her. For her, it's her first time, every time. But he keeps thinking, it's like, you know, and, you know, and, and he even asks her to marry her. And can you imagine this? You don't know this guy. You only can trust what he tells you, but you trust your father and your brother, and everyone says, no, he's a great guy. Every, all your family keeps telling you, he has really loved you. And one day, he even proposes to her, and she says, yes. And then all that goes bad. She goes into the, um, you know, into her medical ward thing, but while Henry, he gets this, um, he's, he's uh, listening to this Beach Boy song. Anybody listen to the Beach Boys here? Ah, let's see, this is, the Beach Boys are good. Come on. <laughs> all right, that, that's old. That's pretty old, all right? Um, and he realizes maybe that her dad, dad gave her this Beach Boy CD, and maybe the dad wants me to know that she somehow remembers. So he gets all excited. So here we go. This is the, this is the ta- scene. He runs into the medical ward. And this is where the movie could be completely cheeseball and, like, suck, right? Instead, he comes up to her, do you remember me? And she goes, no. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, but. Then she goes, I don't know you, but I see you in my dreams all the time. So then she pulls out this artwork, right? and she has all these pictures of a guy who's kind of got this weird square head like him, but whose face she can't fully see. And so, in her mind that she normally uses throughout her day, she can't remember. But the guy who pursues her again and again and again and again is getting into her heart. He's getting into her heart. And whether she likes it or not, she can't, she, whether she tries to or not, his presence and his memory of what he has done for her is starting to get into her heart. And it starts to come out. And this damaged, forgetful woman, I mean, she's not a whore like, like the Bible says that we are. This damaged woman starts to remember her lover. And the movie ends, you know, he finds a way. You know, every day she wakes up with this, you know, the movie ends. I, mean, I think the movie, the ending is incredible, right? She wakes up in the morning, she has to pop in this videotape, and she's shocked that she's on a boat in the Arctic, in the Arctic and she has a daughter. Right? And now look, we're all Lucy. You're all Lucy. God has to allure you. So that's what it says, verse 14. And he has to woo us again and again and again. And do you know the way he has to woo you sometimes, because you're so dang dense, is he has to make it hurt. And when it hurts, 
then you will stop thinking the party will be over and you'll stop thinking all... You'll, you're like the, the insanity of your mind will... Like the insanity of all these other lovers, the success thing will do it and then I will be it. If I just get the right husband, then I will just be it. And if I can just live in the big house or if I can get into the right school, all that stupid stuff that's constantly like a CD on repeat, click, 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 all the time, that thing can shut down for a little while when the Lord lures us into the wilderness and then he speaks to us. All right, let me tell you one more story to close out this message. <clears throat> about um, three weeks ago, okay? About three weeks ago, we at New Hope Church, you know, all the guys at New Hope know about this, um, and we'll share this with you here at um, IGC. We did something that we never did before. We had an all-church short-term missions trip. So this was people from the Korean-speaking side, the English-speaking side, the youth group, and the children's ministry we formed like a 50-person short-term missions team. <laughs> it was crazy, right? Uh, it, we had, they ranged from like age, um, I don't know, 12, 10? Age 10 through 83. That's incredible. It's like four generations on this missions team. And we went to um, a town called Bishop, California. And in Bishop, there is a Paiute Indian reservation right next to the town. Now, Bishop is on the other side of the Sierra Nevada. You've got, you got to cross through Yosemite to get there. Bishop is a prosperous place. It's a nice place. You see houses and people have their big boats and stuff in there. And it's really weird. You can see that it's a very nice and comfortable place. And then there's this two-mile track of land where it's basically kind of crappy. That's the reservation. And right next to the reservation is a church called Valley Presbyterian Church. And we were working with them. There's more of us on our short-term mission team than there are members of the church. And we did things like VBS and praise night. And um, after the second night of worship, which was geared more toward the youth, we had this powerful night of worship. And there are people there. And one of the ladies there, I'm going to call her Maggie, Maggie wanted, she, had, she was sitting around, lots of other people had left. She had been praying in response to the worship, and then she wanted to talk, like Christine was talking to her, and then Christine goes, hey, Pastor, you know, she wants to talk to you. I said, sure. So I sat down, talked to Maggie, and Maggie told me a little bit about her life story. Now, let me tell you a little about her story, and um, it's, it goes like this. She's in her early 30s. She's about 33. I think she's 33. A year ago, before that, she had had a stroke, can you imagine that? This lady had had a stroke. Now, actually, let me back up a little bit. She is one of five children. She has one brother who is her full brother. Her, her, in other words, they got the same daddy. Okay. Then she has three um, other brothers and sisters <laughs> because they're from different daddies. And when she was 13 years old, her mom died. And what they did was the state, she didn't, you know, her daddy split. I don't know what's with her daddy. Her mom died, and the kids got all split up. She got sent to another reservation, essentially a kind of ward of the state or the ward of the reservation. So she was even taken away from the reserva- from 
bishop to go end up at another reservation a couple, about 100 miles, 200 miles away. Her full brother went to go be with grandparents, and then the other three elsewhere. So she lost her family. She lost everything at the age of 13. How did she spend her teenage years? Partying. At the age of 16, she had her first kid. Of course, she didn't marry the guy. Then I think a couple years later, she had another kid. Then she had another kid. She had three kids. She had three kids. She was an alcoholic. She did drugs and alcohol. But I think she was especially into alcohol. Now, this is, then she told me this part. She goes, well, I was drinking so much that um, they, they uh, took my kids away from me. My, you know, my boyfriend, who, of course, you know, hates me now, and I can't stand him, he, he got custody of the kids. Now, if I don't know if you know anything about the way the legal system works. The, the wife, the mom rarely loses the kids. If dad wants the kids, mom wants the kids, the court system typically goes, dudes are not good at taking care of kids. We'll give to the mom. That's, you know, that's like empirical fact. I don't know if you know that, by the way. <laughs> and so courts are not crazy. They go, moms are better at this. So you have to be a wretched mom. The courts have to say, you're such a bad mom. We're going to give it to the guy. She lost her kids. She left that reservation where she met her boyfriend, and then she came back to Bishop in her early 20s. Her whole time, she is longing for her kids. And so she spent her 20s partying and drinking to drown out her sorrow and her bitterness and her self-hatred. She did this all throughout her 20s. It's funny, she said, but even during that whole time, I knew the Lord was with me. Isn't that interesting? Um, I knew the Lord was with me. Isn't that weird? You would think, if a person said, you're, like, you're deluded, the Lord's not with you, the Lord is not in the house, look at your life. I actually believe her. I think somewhere in her teenage years, or when she was younger, she turned to Jesus. Right? She turned to the Lord. She said, all those years, and the Lord was with me. She's such a drunkard, she had a stroke at the age of 32. She, while she was in a stroke, she went into a coma. She said she was in a coma for a while, and she said she could actually remember she had, she goes, I'm not sure if I'm awake or just a dream, but I remember what it was like. And she goes, I remember while I was in this coma, it felt like this must be what it's like to be dead. She's like, this is bad. I want to be alive. And then when she awoke, it was like life was new. She goes, I remember what it was like to be dead. I want to be alive. She cut out the drinking. She just cut out the drinking. And she came back to church. And she worships at Valley Church. She's one of the members of Valley Church now. And um, she's still got lots of pain. She, uh, she got herself into housing. And you, you can't be a drunk and be in this housing if you... If you you know, public drunkenness, they'll kick you out of this housing, right? She, she's got this, and she wants to get her life together so that she can go back and get her kids or at least be a real mom again. That's her longing. And we were talking about this. Now, why am I telling you this? Two things. 
One is, I don't want you to look down upon Maggie. You know, I think if you meet someone like this and your first reaction is, this person is so inferior, (laughs) or how pitiful, because you feel like you can do something for them. In some sense, it's very condescending. It doesn't mean you can't do anything for them, but it's condescending. There's a lot of class snobbery in our culture. That's part of it. But, you know, most of the time, that's how it will react. So pitiful. (laughs) Or sometimes we're like, nasty. (laughs) You just drank yourself to what? But when she said, when she said, I drank so that I could forget and get away from my problems. You know, I said, I know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. Except I use a little bit more, um, I use a little bit more uh, respectable drugs. I use a uh, uh, Haagen-Dazs. <laughs> I use ESPN. I, I, I have this little hobby called fantasy baseball. Most of the time, I practice fantasy baseball with perfect freedom and enjoyment of baseball. But sometimes, when I'm feeling down, it's an escape. And it's my source of comfort. And, and because I'm not falling down drunk, nobody thinks I'm bad. <laughs> I know what she's talking about. You do too. Don't you know it? She is literally (laughs) like Gomer. But we're all like Maggie. We're all like Lucy. And the Lord put her into a wilderness. It was a stroke. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) She, She walks with a cane. She's 33 years old. She walks with a cane like this. And yet she is joyful. She goes, I'm actually, so I said, so the stroke was good for you? Oh, she goes, oh yeah, it was good for me. She says it with no joke. She's completely serious. Oh yeah, it was good for me. Because Jesus brought me back. Look, let's, let's, let me wrap this up. I love what Michael said last night. When you're being disobedient, wandering around, the first thing is not try to how to fix your life and make that work. The first thing is just to look to Jesus. Oh, there's no Jesus in this passage, Pastor. Of course there is. Of course there is. He's all over, all of verse 14 and on, when he's talking about, I will allure you, I will pursue you. That is Jesus. Let's go to verse 23. I will sow her for myself in the land, and I'll have mercy on no mercy, and I will say to not my people, you are my people. You know how this happens? These are, <laughs> these are illegitimate kids. These are not these aren't my kids. You are like not my kids. How does the adoption occur? How does Lo Ruhama no mercy become mercy. 
How does not my people become ami, my people? A cost, a very costly pursuit must occur. The no mercy is absorbed by Jesus. Jesus comes. He stands at the back of the line behind all the lovers. He does this every day. He woos you 50 times 50 times 50 times, even though he's so dumb. We're so dumb and we're so forgetful. And all the no mercy and wrath has to come on him. The humiliation and horror and the lewdness and everything comes on him in the cross. And then the mercy comes on us and says, now your name is mercy. Now you are my people. Now you'll call me my husband, my Lord, my God. Monday, when this is like a memory, please don't think about all the stuff you have to do to be a better Christian or just to be a better person. Just get quiet for a little bit. Just get quiet. We've been talking about quiet times in our church too. Just get quiet for a little bit. And just say, Jesus, I need you. I turn to you. I turn to you. Help me remember you. Put you in me. I need you. Let's pray. A horish and terrible people are we. Forgive us and have mercy for the way we make you stand at the back of the line, Lord. And we call out to you and ask for prayer requests. Jesus, will you give me success? But really, we're just calling out to success. We're just calling out to our bail. We might as well just say, success, give me success. Manhood, make me a man. Womanhood, make me pretty. And we go to our, the Bible that we think is going to save us. Our success books and our grades we don't go to the real Bible, the real gospel, the videotape that we need to have come before us, the gospel, which is from you, the pursuing husband, Jesus. Better than Henry, and we are worse than Lucy. Jesus, pursue us. We're so bad. We're so whorish. And only if you imprint the gospel so deep into us, it'll start to seep out of us when we can't help it. Can we truly be yours? We thank you, Lord, for the cross. We thank you that we are mercy and we are your people and are your bride. Praise Jesus' name.